This is a very, very important message for all of us. And Jesus is really delivering some, some poignant words to the, to the Pharisees, those who had been dogging his steps. He's, he's just a few months away from the cross. He's been in ministry perhaps three years. And um, he's, he's, he knows what's around the corner. So if you look at it from this perspective that these are final words, if you will, they become even more important, right? If you're, if you're around a loved one and, and, and they're getting ready to go and leave this place, final words are, are powerful and important to listen to. Obviously, everything Jesus said, all of Scripture is the Lord Jesus in the beginning was the Word, right? But these final words, you want to just pause and really pay very close attention. What, what are... What's the point that he's making in these final passages on his way to the cross? And this is really important today. The title is Lacking Sight, Not Light. This is, this is an important distinction. There was no lack of light. There was n- there's no lack of light today. The Pharisees are saying, you, we need another sign. You, if, if we, the Pharisees are saying, if we don't believe in you, it's, it's your fault. It's your fault. You didn't give us enough to believe in you. It's not a lack of, 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 of light. It's never a lack of light. Light is everywhere. It's always a lack of sight. And for many, it's a refusal. It's a refusal to acknowledge and to see. And that's what we're going to see in this passage today. Okay? Are you there? And if you're not, it's up on the screen as well. Luke eleven thirty three to 36. Hear now the word of God. Lacking sight, not light. <clears throat> no one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, he puts it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are good, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are bad, your body also is full of darkness. See to it, then, that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be completely lighted as when the light of a lamp shines on you. And may God add his rich blessing to his inspired and errant infallible word. Let's pray together. Father, it's no accident we're here this morning, everyone by divine appointment. So we would ask that you would meet us this morning. That you would give us ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts that beat for nothing smaller than the Lord Jesus Christ. It is only the power of the word of God. The power of the living word that will change us, that will change our circumstances in life, that will conform us to the image and likeness of Christ. And that is what we desire most. Father, I pray that all of us are more conformed to your image when we leave here today than we were when we came in. Everyone came in carrying some kind of a burden, some massive burdens. Lord, we ask that you would take those burdens this day. You've asked us to give them to you. So we do that. So come now, fount of every blessing. Unclutter our minds and unburden our hearts that we might see Jesus and him only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Okay, three headings under the title. Lacking sight, not light. Number one. There's a purpose for light, and it's right in the passage. It's, it's very simple. Number two, the presence of light. 
And finally, the person of light. Three brief headings. Light and darkness is a common theme in all cultures, in all times, throughout all of history. But my prayer is that we'll see it this morning from a, a much deeper perspective that maybe perhaps some have not seen. And we're going to see it right from the beginning of Scripture. We're going to ask some questions. Remember, it's important not just to read the Scriptures, but there are questions that we ask when we come to it. And it's my calling every week to tell you what the text says, what the text means, and then what does the text require of us. That's what you're to hear in the preaching of the Word, no matter where you go and who's preaching. What does it say, what does it mean, and what does it require? It requires our response, and we'll see that at the very end. So what's the purpose of light? Okay, let's take a look. Back to verse 33, under the first heading. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, he puts it on a stand so that those who come in may see the light. So what's the purpose of light? Everyone knows the removal of darkness. That's the purpose. We would use the term, it's axiomatic. It sounds like a big word, but it's very simple. It's self-evident. Jesus is saying something to them that's not deep. They don't need a theological degree to understand what he's saying. He's saying, you light a light, and what do you do with it? You don't hide it. You put it out so that you can see. And, and that's what they're not doing. So he's, he's, he's really starting to get into their hearts. He's speaking at a heart level to them. So now I'm going to take you back to the beginning. And we have to ask a couple key questions. I'm going to show you something. Genesis 1, 2, 2 to 4. Ready for this? We have to ask the question, why do we read this presented as it is. Why? Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. Okay. Why? You read the account, and it just, okay, that's cool. And you continue reading through the narrative. But why? Why darkness, and why light? It didn't need to be that way. It could have just been light. There was a time in my walk with the Lord Jesus that I used the first two chapters in the book of the Bible as proof texts to deal with those atheist, humanist, evolutionists so that we could prove the existence of God and disprove what they were saying that we crawled out of a bubbling cesspool of amino acids 10 billion years ago and we're crawling back in. I don't do that anymore. I have no time for that. What is that telling you? Why the theme of darkness and light before any sin? There's no reason for it. Other than God uses the first two chapters in the book of Genesis as what? The backdrop of his unfolding plan of redemption for you and for me. Would you agree with me that God knew the fall was coming? Nod your heads. You better not. Would you agree that God ordains all things whatsoever shall come to pass, yet not violating the revealed will of man? Nod your heads. So if God knew that, what is Genesis 1 and 2? It's the backdrop to Genesis 3. God's plan of redemption. And we see it right here at the beginning. 
we already see the contrast between darkness and light, which will culminate in what? The light of the world who comes in the New Testament. You see the beauty of this? This is why we say it is one word from one God to one world. There's a single strand of truth that runs through every single word in Scripture, and that truth is the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to ask some questions when you come to the creation account. Why? Why this and why that? And, and when we search the scriptures and get beneath the surface of them, it teaches us deep biblical truths. God's setting us up for something. Something's coming. Darkness is coming. Real darkness is coming. And the true light is coming. And God uses these first two chapters to, to lay out the backdrop Every part of it is rooted in his unfolding plan of redemption. This is powerful when you see scripture this way. Some people use scripture as as 66 disjointed books teaching moralistic messages on how to have your best life now. It's not what this is. This is one book from one God to one world teaching the truths of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. This is all about God's unfolding plan of redemption in Christ. Now, with that being said, you say, okay, how do you support that? Now, we're going to look at the biblical themes all throughout Scripture. What is darkness? What does darkness represent? Everything that is opposed. Everything that is anti-God. What is light? What does light represent? Everything that is God. You know that. These are themes that are known all throughout the world in all cultures. So, now let's take a look. Ready? Proverbs 2. 12 and 13, wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men who have left the straight path to walk in dark ways. This is the wicked. This is, this is darkness evoking everything that is anti-God. Light and darkness are evocative words in the Hebrew. This is powerful that we understand what God wants us to see right from the beginning. There's something up right from the beginning. Remember, God sees everything all at once. Everything from beginning, he's God. Nothing catches him by surprise. Some people think, well, after the fall, this is all repair work. All the stuff that's going on, God had to then come up with a plan B. There's no plan B. God ordains all things, all things whatsoever come to pass. He's God. He's sovereign over everything. So wicked. What else? Just a couple. We don't have time to do a lot. Just I'll give you three. 1021 in Exodus. Look at judgment. Watch judgment in darkness. The Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand so that darkness spreads over Egypt. Darkness that can be felt. It was so dark it could be felt. That was judgment. God's judgment on wicked Pharaoh and the Egyptians who had enslaved his people. This is the judgment of God. And Psalm 88, 12, are, you, are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? This is death, darkness in death. So all darkness is, is anti-God. It's there to teach us. Now light evokes everything that is God. Now we're going to see the contrast. Ready? Darkness in the land of Egypt. Notice this. Two verses later. Exodus 10, 23. No one could see anything or move for three days. It was just too dark. However, yet all the Israelites had light in the place where they lived. 
Can you imagine? Picture that. You ever, been, you, ever, you ever been in a place where it was raining? Let's say it was light rain. But you, you, you got to a place in that rain, where it stopped. And it's raining here, but it's not raining here. Right? We've, you ever you experienced that? I remember being little and going, what is that? It, it has to stop somewhere. Well, darkness stopped somewhere. It stopped at the edge of the commonwealth of Israel. And God's presence covered his people in light. Darkness, couldn't see, couldn't move. So thick you could feel it. And then there was light. Representing the presence of God. This is... These stories are designed to draw us in. Draw us into the narrative. To, to get us to understand what's going on. To get into the place of the people who are involved there and to feel this. Imagine the difference between darkness and light at that point in time where God judged them and yet God shines his light on his people. So we see the presence of God. How about life? Psalm 56, 13. For you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling that I may walk before God in the light of life. Light is life. And then finally, salvation. Isaiah 9, 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Okay, so there it is. There's a purpose for light. And what is the purpose? To remove darkness. And we see it right from the beginning in the creation account, and it sets us up to be ready for something that's coming, something that's deep, something that's going to absolutely rock our world when we put all of it together. Because in chapter 3, sin is coming to humanity. It was already here from the fallen angel, but sin is coming in humanity. And you're going to see that stark contrast between darkness and light. And the people walking in darkness and looking forward to the promised light. Genesis 3.15. So there's the purpose. Now we need to see the presence. Watch this. Remember who Jesus is primarily directing his conversation to. He speaks differently to the people who are really hurting. He speaks. He doesn't speak harshly to the tax collector and the prostitute. And the gluttons and the sin. He just doesn't. But he speaks harshly to these religious leaders who should know better. They know the word of God. They've memorized the Hebrew Bible. They're God's chosen teachers for God's people. And they've hidden the light. They've shrouded the light from the people of God. And Jesus is angry. So notice what he says in 33 to 36. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When they are good, your body is full of light. But when they are bad, your body is full of darkness. He's talking to them. Now, verse 35 is the key verse in the passage. He's speaking now to these religiously apostate Judaism that has turned away from God. See to it. Listen to what he says. That the light within you is not darkness. Notice what he says. How can light be darkness? You, you, you believe you have the light. You're, you're the religious leaders who claim to have the light, but it's darkness. See to it that, that it's not, but I'm telling you that it is. It 
It's not, a, they're asking for a sign. He's saying, you don't need a sign. It's not a lack of light. There's light everywhere. It's a lack of sight. You refuse to see. Why? Well, here it is. Don't miss this. Back to verse 15. I want you to notice how the enemies of God confirm who God is. Remember, when you're dealing apologetically with your Christian faith, it's always good to get what we call enemy attestation. Testimony from enemies who confirm what it is you believe. So the religious leaders are now going to confirm the power of God and Jesus, but they're not going to say it's the power of God. In verse 15, what do they say he's doing? By Beelzebul, you are driving out demons. What have they confirmed? He's a miracle worker. He has the power over darkness. He has the, but the only power that he has over darkness is because darkness is in him. Why would they do that? These are the people of God. Why would they say it's the power of darkness in which he's driving out darkness? Because if they say it's the power of light and it's the almighty God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what will they have to do if they acknowledge that truth? They'll have to change their lives. They'll have to surrender control of their chief seats to the Lord Jesus Christ and allow him to sit on the throne of their lives. Do you know that that's what millions today refuse to do? Millions in the church. You ask them, so what do you think when you get to the other side? Are, are you set and secured in the Lord Jesus? Well, I'm still working on it, and I'm just hoping I'm, 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 I'm a good person. So you're saving yourself? That's what that means. You're not a good person. You're really, really bad. Some of you are really bad. I know you personally. Some of you know me well. And you're still here. Oof. That's friendship. But that's understanding who we are. We're broken. We're just broken. All of us. And even when we're saved, there are times when we don't want Jesus on the throne of our lives. Am I right? We just don't. They refuse to acknowledge the power of God because they don't want to have to surrender to it. I'm going to show you it in a moment in a most dramatic way. So just hang on to that. The problem was not light. It was sight. Now, a couple passages to confirm where the Pharisees are. Then I'm going to show you just an incredible quote. John 3, 19 and 20. This is the verdict. Light, that's Jesus, yes, has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Pause. Now, don't nod your heads because we're live streaming. You don't want your head nod on this one. But don't you know that by way of personal experience? I can be the only one that nods. Because I know. That's the truth. And, and we're not even talking about major, massive things. We have a tendency to, to, to measure sin. And we have a tendency to have this category of what we call respectable sins. And we say, well, that's okay over here. But when you're anxious, did you know that that's a sin? But we call that a respectable sin. When you're impatient, do you know that that's a sin? Jesus says it is. When it's man-centered anger, do you know that that's a sin? 
We have a tendency to think of these scandalous sins that, that cause us to, to have this catastrophic fall out of the sky. No, 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 no. These little respectable ones are the ones that we want to keep in the darkness. We don't want to turn that portion of our lives over to Jesus. So that's what this passage is telling us. Light has come into the world, but we love darkness instead of light because our deeds are evil at times. We all know that by way of personal experience. And then in verse 20, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. I know I've said this to you before. I'll say it again because there's always somebody visiting or someone by way that I get a text, a text and they said, I've never heard anything like this before in my life. Look at the two screens. Okay, now put the last 30 days of your life up on those two screens. Every thought, every word, and every deed. Got it? Got it. That's the truth. And it's only the truth that's going to set us free. Not some kind of pretense that, no, 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 we're saved now. We're, we're different than, no, no. Dr. Kennedy had a great line. I didn't understand. It took a long time for me to get it. God saved you then as he's saving you now. I didn't know what that meant. I do now. God saves me every single day, and I need a Savior every single moment by moment that I live. I need the Lord Jesus Christ to save me from myself. That's the truth of the gospel, and that's the beauty of the gospel, to know that that power is there and that God loves you unconditionally and forgives you completely. That's what frees you. That's the gospel. But these guys had no interest in that. They didn't want to give up their seats. They didn't want to give up the applause of man. They even said in the gospel accounts, if this goes on any longer, everyone in Israel is going to come to this guy. We'll have nothing left. So they denied what they saw. They had plenty of light. They refused. It was the sight. Then Romans 1.21, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, I'm going to give you a quote. Perhaps you've heard of this family name, Huxley. If you're old enough, some of you are, I can see, you may know the title from Aldous Huxley called A Brave New World. You may remember that title. Futuristic world state of genetically modified citizens. Aldous was the grandson. Let's give me a little background real quick before I give you this quote. I want you to see this because I want to show you the two categories of people. We talked about it in the prodigal son. We have the religious and we have the irreligious. We have those on the run away from God and those on the run toward God. We had both sons in the parable of the prodigal who were lost. Which condition was more dire? The one on the run away from God or the one on the run toward God? The one on the run toward God. Why? He looked like he was doing everything good. Not until the storm wind came in and that scallywag of a brother showed back up. And Poppy, God, who stands in the place of the father, sacrifices the fatted calf and he loses his mind. All these years I have obeyed everything that you have asked of me and not once did you sacrifice even a goat that I might have a party with my friends. He was more lost than the, elk, than the younger brother. Why? He didn't know it. Do you know how many people sit in churches today that have no idea they're lost? They're banking on their morality. They are moral. They are good. They look good to the watching world, but their hearts are not beating for Christ. 
So this family, a brilliant family, Thomas Huxley, the patriarch of the family, was known as Darwin's bulldog. You know Darwin, Darwinian evolution. This is his grandson. And basically his grandson now is going to speak, not only for the family, but he's going to speak for all of these people in this category. And then we call them categories of really deep intellectuals. But I want you to see the heart behind what it is he says, and it'll give you insight to what it is we're dealing with in the world today. Ready? This is the grandson, Aldous Huxley. Out of a book he wrote called Ends and Means. Listen to these words carefully, please. I had, it wasn't a lack of light. He tells you it wasn't a lack of light. I had motives for not wanting the world to have a meaning and consequently assumed that it had none and was able, without any difficulty, to find satisfying reasons for this assumption. The philosopher who finds no meaning in the world is not concerned exclusively with a problem in pure metaphysics. You need to stop here for a moment. His grandfather was a zoologist. He's a scientist. These are brilliant minds. Listen to, this, listen to these words. Don't, the philosopher who finds no meaning in the world, is not concerned exclusively with a problem of metaphysics. It's deeper than that. He understands the world from that perspective. Here's what it is. He is concerned to prove that there is no valid reason why he personally should not do as he wants to do. For myself, as no doubt for most of my friends, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of liberation from a certain system of morality. We objected to the morality because it interfered with our sexual freedom. The supporters of this system claimed that it embodied the meaning, the Christian meaning they insisted of the world. There was one admirable, simple method of confusion Refuting these people and justifying ourselves in our erotic revolt, we would deny that the world had any meaning, whatever. That's the condition of the hearts of millions of people today. That is why it is so desperate that we share the love of the Lord Jesus Christ with the lost. It's not a lack of light, it's a lack of sight. Finally, number three, here's the person, and then we'll close. If he's about five or six months away from the cross, he's had maybe up to three years of ministry. Think about all that has been said and all that has been done. Every demonstration of his deity and the power of God, which they they know it's not the power of sin. What is, Jesus gave another axiomatic statement that was self-evident. Remember when he talked about the house divided? He said, do you realize what you're saying? You're saying that I drive out Satan by the power of Satan. What's wrong with you people? I thought you had a brain. Well, that's basically, well, I, that's my language. I'm sorry, that's not in the scripture. That's mine. But basically, he said, I mean, who knows? Maybe that wasn't recorded. I thought you were learned men. A house divided can't stand. That's, that's ludicrous for you to say that Satan drives out Satan. But that doesn't make sense. You're not speaking cogently. 
You know better. You know that can't be. You could say it was Satan's power to walk on water and multiply the loaves. You could say anything, but you can't say it's Satan's power driving out demons. You can't say that. I've taken it to the next level. You only have one choice. Well, you have two. You can say it's God because that's who I am, or you can deny me. And eventually, if you deny me long enough, you'll be beyond hope. The opportunity to come to me will no longer be offered. It will be too late. Our God is long-suffering. And today is a day of salvation for all of us. But there comes a time when it's too late. It is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. I didn't say that. If you believe the book and you believe Jesus to be the word of God, then that's the truth and we have to get out and we've got to tell him. We've got to tell him with a heart of love. We've got to tell him with a heart that breaks. We've got to tell him what God has done for us. Because we're no different than they are, except for God's grace. So here's the person, three things. His message is preached light. Remember the messages? Everything that he spoke, every word that came out of his mouth was light. It was light. It was life. It was salvation. Think about the words he said to the, to the prostitute, the woman caught in adultery, the Samaritan woman at the well. Listen to his words. And listen to his words to the Pharisees. He spoke life to them, but they just refused to listen. In his sermon on the mount, Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do you know who he was speaking to there? He was speaking about the testimony of the disciples. He's speaking to you. He's speaking to me. See, in the passage right now in Luke 11, he's speaking about himself. He's speaking about his own testimony. I am the light. My light is shining. It's easy to see. It's not a lack of light. It's a lack of sight. Now in the sermon, he's talking about his disciples. This is what we're called to do. So the question is, is your light shining? Because remember, you have to... <laughs> You have to remember what he said. Nobody lights a lamp and hides it, okay? Who lit your lamp? Say, Jesus. Hey, did you hide it? You're not supposed to. You're supposed to let it shine. Why? And and draw others to Jesus. That's what the light does. The, the light attracts and the light draws. Now, I, I know occasionally those lights, you know, if you're outside, they draw bugs, right? Bugs. Hey, we were all bugs, weren't we? We were all bugs. Bzzz, and drawn to the light. The only difference is when we got in contact with that light, we didn't go bzzz, and fall to the ground and die. God raised us from death to life. What a beautiful picture of the gospel. The light of Jesus shines and attracted all the little bugs. And he raised us from death to life. If we see ourselves that way, then we don't see anybody so different than us. You know what Paul said? Paul said three things. It's called the def- I call it the, def- the def- divine descent. Listen to Paul. Because who here would compare yourself to Paul, right? Nobody would ever dare do that. But Paul says this. First thing he says, you know what? I, I, I'm, not, I'm not worthy to even be considered one of God's people. I'm the least of God's people. That wasn't enough. And he said, you know, if I really think about it, I'm really the least of all the apostles. And yet he really wasn't, was he? He was the only one of the apostles who had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. But notice, he says, I'm the least of the apostles. But he thinks a little further on that, and he says, you know, that's still not enough because I really know who I am. And then he looks out in 1 Timothy, and what does he say? 
Christ came to save sinners of whom I am the chief. He could find no one worse than himself. He knew who he was. He knew what Christ did for him on that road to Damascus. And he wasn't afraid to say it. We don't have, you know what's nice about the gospel? We don't have to put up any pretense. You know, sometimes, and I wasn't sure if it was an a compliment early on, but sometimes, you know, people will come up and say all sorts of things to me, right? But occasionally people will come up and say, boy, man, you talk like you're a sinner, but I, you really make me believe it. I really think you are. And I said, good. I said, just speak to those who know me well. Because that, how do we hide from something like that? We need Jesus every moment of every day, and yet he's called us as, listen, why does God call sinful, broken people to share the gospel light with other sinful, broken people? Why would he do that? Because that's all he has. He doesn't have anything else to use. So he asks us, will you shine the light? Let it shine. So his message was clear about preaching light. Then his miracles, you know that. Remember all the miracles? But here's the deep one. Jesus drove out a demon and the crowd was amazed. The crowd got it. Had to be few in the crowd that got saved, right? We don't know. But the crowd was amazed. And then finally what? His majesty personified light. Here's the key. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. This is, this is it. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Do you have that? Is that the testimony of your heart today? Jesus says, I am the light. Paul confirms what Jesus says, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts. It's God who shines the light in your heart. We don't do that. God, it's a work of God's grace. God raises dead sinners to life. God gives the gift of repentance and faith. God gives the gift of eternal life and salvation. We receive it by grace through faith. It's all a work of God. Think about this for one moment. If you thought you played a role in yourself. Now, I'm only speaking to those who know how bad they are. And I've identified some of you. Not by name, but you know I'm looking at you and you know I'm acknowledging you. Only when you know how bad you are. But you have to know how bad you are. Is it a comfort to know salvation is all of grace? Because if you thought you played a role and you really realized how bad you were, how would you ever know when you were saved? When would you ever come to the conclusion that I'm in? I wouldn't have come to that conclusion this morning. I'm thinking stuff on the way to church. I'm wondering what's wrong with me? Because we're broken. If I thought for a second he didn't do all of it, I wouldn't be here. Because it wouldn't make any sense. I could not have played a role in my salvation. But God has called me to play a role in my sanctification. He's called all of us, all of us, to appropriate the grace. The same grace that saves, sanctifies. And if we're not appropriating that grace, then we are denying the power that is in us. God didn't save us to leave us the way we are. God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. God's changing all of us and conforming us to the image of Christ. That's the gospel. 
Let light shine out of darkness. May his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Do you know, you've heard the phrase, for some people you're the only Bible they're ever going to read. The only contact they're going to have with Jesus is you. I heard this phrase a long time ago and it really crushed my heart a long, long time ago. One of the seminary professors said this. You have to understand the context. And coming from a seminary professor, you would understand it. But he said this term. He said, how attractive do you make your God? Now, God is already attractive all by himself, yes? But you understand the point. How attractive in the way that you live, your thoughts, your words, and your deeds, how attractive do you make God? I didn't make God really that attractive. In fact, I think I was driving people away. It took a long time for me to understand that. A long time. And people are looking at us and wondering, what kind of God do we serve? The God I put on display in my house was angry and mean and punitive in punishing the children. That's not the God that saved us. And all of that is a process. A heart that is willing to want to change and to grow knowing that we'll never get there until we get to the other side, but desiring more than anything else to be anything other than what I am. That's the gospel, the light of Christ shining through us, imperfectly. So how do we close? It'll get personal here in just a moment, but in a very good way. It'll comfort your heart. 1 John 1, 5 to 7. This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him yet walk in darkness, we lie and we do not live by the truth. But if we walk in light as he is the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sins. So here's my question to you, and now it's personal. Have you been lacking any sight of God's love light lately in your life? You know, I get a privilege to meet lots of people and speak with lots of people, lots of counseling, lots of coaching, lots of all that kind of stuff. And it's not uncommon to meet people and to speak with people who have a tendency to associate their circumstances and how they feel with the actual love that God has given to them. I want to give you a quote, and I want to tie a bow on it. Listen to these words. Richard Siebes, an Anglican theologian, the late 1500s, early 1600s, said this. Listen to this. Measure not God's love and favor by your own feeling. The sun shines as clearly in the darkest day as it does in the brightest. The difference is not the sun, but in some clouds which hindered the manifestation of the light thereof. What clouds have come between you and the true sun? It happens to all of us. We can be in the middle of a storm season where it seems like heaven has been silent and clouds just simply cover the land and we don't sense God's presence. It happens to all of us. 
But if we measure the love of God in Christ Jesus by our circumstances, then we've missed the truths of the gospel. On a cloudy day when you're out, the sun is still shining. The sun hasn't changed. It's the clouds that change the circumstances. And here's what we have to remember. God is in the clouds. And he sent them to you. For our good and for his glory. It doesn't show that he loves us less. It shows that he loves us perfectly. And he will settle for nothing less than perfection in us on the day of Christ Jesus. Don't measure his love by the circumstances. Look through the clouds and see Christ. Now's a moment of salvation. Here and by way of the internet. You're invited. Jesus says to come. With outstretched arms and nail-scarred hands, Jesus says, come all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Will you come to Christ? It's not a man-centered work. The heart has been stirred today. You heard the truths of the gospel and God is stirring your heart. Will you surrender control of your life to Christ? Will you give him every aspect of your life knowing that you will give it to him imperfectly and you will still continue to sin? Will you give it to him today? Will you cry out to Jesus, God, be merciful to me, a sinner? Today's a day of salvation. Tomorrow it may be too late. Come to Christ. If the plot line of your life is not in Christ, you will never have a happy ending. Only in Christ will your life end with happily ever after. That's not a fairy tale. It's faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the power, the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel unto salvation. We ask right now, every person in this sanctuary who is already a believer, just pray silently in your heart with me these words. Oh God, if you've never prayed before, just pray in your heart. Oh God, I heard the gospel today. I've heard the truth I've actually heard it many times before, but it was never a lack of, of light. The light has been there. It's been my sight, but today I see. I was blind, but now I see. Oh, God, give me the gift of repentance and faith. I cry out to you. Sit on the throne of my life. I surrender every aspect of who I am to you. And, Father, I would ask then that you would give the confident assurance that nothing will ever separate them from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus and for every other one of us in here who has been walking some for decades. Strengthen all of us in our faith. Grow us all up into Christ and use us as instruments of salvation and sanctification. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand and continue your worship with us.